We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stangle. Hello. Hi, dear, ho, dear. Oh, hi, dear, ho, dear. Spoo, dear, boo, dear. <laughs> Spoopy Halloween. <laughs> That's it. We're here. We're here. No fear. So much for you. The stories you're going to hear. <laughs> so this is our Halloween episode, and today we are going to be sharing stories of ghosts and spooks in the news. Mm-hmm. So both Maddie and myself have found a handful of newspaper articles detailing supposed encounters with the paranormal. <laughs> and we are going to take turns sharing them with one another. Yeah. Would you like to go first or would you like me to? I can go first. I think I, I don't normally tell you stories. Tell me a story. So I uh, zeroed in. I My source is newspapers.com. And I zeroed in on the Sioux City Journal in Iowa. In Sioux City, Iowa. Because it's uh, relatively close to where we grew up. And... They had some fun ones. This one is from August 15th, 1894. Train stopped by a ghost. A specter startles the engineer of the Sea Beach Road. New York, August 14th. Your birthday. My birthday. Mapleton on Sea Beach Road to Coney Island has a ghost. The ghost was first noticed by a trainload of excursionists returning at midnight on a Thursday after a day's jollity at Coney Island. The train had just reached the spot where Miss Baring committed suicide on Monday morning when the spirit appeared. Superintendent Jasky at the Sea Beach Road, who was riding in the cab of the engine, first noticed it. He called Engineer Mallon's attention to it, and the train was quickly brought to a standstill. In the language of Superintendent Lasky, it was tall and shadowy-like. It had the appearance of a substance gradually melting into a filmy white nothing. It Ooh. seemed to be covered by a long white filmy veil. Two Ooh. seconds after I saw it, said Mr. Lasky, it began moving over toward the railroad track. It moved slowly, waving its long draped arms. I could see it distinctly as we approached near and that it motioned to us, gesticulating as one would to trying to stop a train. Engineer Mallon then saw it. He began to blow his whistle with a succession of sharp toots <laughs> and put on the brakes. The thing did not get out of the way, though it was careful to avoid the headlight, and the train was brought to a standstill. Just as the train stopped, the thing glided off the track and skimmed along toward the woods, all the time gesticulating as if motioning someone to follow. Aww. It was just like, come with me. Yeah. I hate how they just called her filmy. <laughs> she was just covered in a soapy film. White goop. 
a white hippie lady with overly long arms waved me down and then just wandered into the woods afterwards. <laughs> cool story, Jesse. Cool story. All right. This is from the May 5th, 1894 edition of the Cook County Herald in Minnesota. Mm. And it says, a terrifying scene enacted by ghosts. <laughs> Brought to you by ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> There's some spooks in this house. There's some spooks in this house. <laughs> a village frightened. Three young farmers tell a story so wild as to be almost incredible in the Pennsylvania mm. mountains. Not the Pennsylvania mountains. Right? Strange tales are told of uncanny sights and weird sounds seen and heard in the fastnesses of the mountains near Woodland, Pennsylvania. Farmers and simple-minded woodmen are speaking only in whispers and in broad daylight of an occurrence which actually took place a few miles from here some weeks since. And, in consequence, there is not a man, woman, or child who has heard the story who dares traverse after nightfall the lonely road where it is said a German peddler was found with his head broken and his pack rifled some 28 years ago. Yeah. The road has always borne the reputation of being haunted, but it is not until a few days ago anything more tangible than hearsay was the basis for the belief. Yeah. On that night, however, the Philadelphia Times says, three well-known young farmers who had been courting in the vicinity met about midnight, as was their habit, at the forks of the road, and started to walk to their homes about five miles away. <laughs> Scandalous. All three being <laughs> good Templars, there is no reason to doubt their statements of what they saw and heard. Yeah, duh. The road leads through a dense forest for nearly a mile, and upon either side are high hills where a heavy growth of underbrush renders the woods impassable. A wilder locality could scarcely be imagined. Ooh. The night was dark and chilly, but the young men were full of life and spirits and made the hills re-echo with their shouts and laughter up to the time they entered the forest. Even here they chatted and joked about each other's girls, although the <laughs> clammy gloom seemed to strangely affect their spirits. All at yeah. once, the younger of the trio threw back his head and gave a hearty yell, laughingly remarking that that would raise the dead. Yeah. Scarcely had the echoes died away, ere what seemed a responsive cry came from somewhere beyond in the darkness. Oh, no. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> oh, wait, the dead. Oh, yeah? <laughs> you did. You're correct. You are correct, sir. What was that? muttered the elderly farmer. Sounded like a catamount, suggested the younger. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Nonsense, said the other. It was only an echo. As he spoke, the cry was repeated. From a faint, low tone, it rose to a shrill shriek of mortal terror and anguish. Ooh. Then it broke and died away in heart-rending groans. <laughs> wow, what a really unfortunate few seconds. <laughs> That's the weirdest echo gonna, I ever heard. You're going to wake the dead, and then you hear this like... <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. Well, shit, Kevin. <laughs> God damn it, Kevin. 
The farmers huddled together and peered panic-stricken into the blackness ahead. (laughs) Then from the gloom came the sound of heavy footsteps rapidly approaching. Oh, no. Fuck. (laughs) That sounds just awful. (laughs) Instinctively, the men shrank to the roadside, listening and watching in fascinated horror. Again, the blood-curdling shriek rose in the darkness, followed by a coarse oath in an indifferent tone. Then, a strange spectacle occurred. A great, phosphorescent body suddenly appeared in the middle of the road, moving rapidly toward the beholders. In the center was the figure of a German peddler bending under the weight of his pack, his livid countenance expressive of the most agonizing fear fancy can conjure. He was striving to run, even while his features betokened the utter hopelessness of the endeavor to escape from the pursuer, a great burly ruffian armed with a club. I'm sorry, how did they know the ghost was German? (laughs) Because this was the scene of a murder of a German peddler. I know, but they were just like, he looked German. I don't know what to say. The dude was super German. 100%. Maybe, maybe he was extremely patriotic. And just like here in the United States, he was fond of wearing the German flag. So you knew just that he was from Germany. Running in his lederhosen. <laughs> das ist gut. Das, das ist not gut. Das ist nicht gut. As the uncanny vision approached, the terrifying scream of anguish again burst from the peddler's lips, while before their frightened gaze the farmers saw the villain bring down his club with killing force upon the victim's head. The peddler tumbled to the ground, his pack rolling heavily toward the ditch. Then from above, beneath, before, and behind burst forth a chorus of demonic shrieks groans and wild laughter while upon the road lay the body of the peddler and crouching over him his murderer rifled his pockets the illumination grew stronger blue flames played around the pair and the fumes of sulfur half choked the terrified beholders the flames changed into a fierce blaze and the youths experienced an irresistible desire to throw themselves into the center of the fire this what the fuck <laughs> right <laughs> what the hell pennsylvania <laughs> jesus i am the mothman <laughs> fire it's nick cage's whatever movie superhero he was ghost oh, rider yeah. he was ghost rider he was ghost rider the <laughs> old ghost rider sans motorcycle <laughs> Speechless with unnameable fear, they felt themselves drawing closer, closer to the unholy spot. Oh, God, gasped the elder in an almost inarticulate whisper. At the word, the spectacle, the yells, the groans, and the hideous laughter ceased as suddenly as electric lights go out at the pressing of a button. That is all. The young men reached a farmhouse somehow and spent the remainder of the night in sleepless terror. What was it? That is just what everyone is asking with bated breath and frightened look. <laughs>
It was actually Nick Cage from the future <laughs> going back in time <laughs> to scare the shit out of some poor Pennsylvania Dutchman. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm a German peddler. And this guy, <laughs> and this guy is a. Uh, just following me, and then he hits me on the head, and then you know, Satan. <laughs> you guys want to hear about the time that I stole the Declaration, the Declaration of Independence? They would have believed it too. <laughs> it's a really great story, y'all. Wow. That is my awesome Nick Cage impersonation, which is not a good impersonation at all. It's great. I appreciate it. <laughs> Oh, All right, this one I believe is from the the local area. So it's November seventh, eighteen seventy four. A day at school. Incidents of a Friday, prominent among which is genuine, genuine ghost story. <laughs> it's a witch. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday was unlucky Friday. Both capitalized. So I'm assuming, like, Friday, Friday the 13th. 13th. <laughs> Yesterday was unlucky Friday in the schools, and some of the teachers were only preserved from going quite distracted by the comforting assurance that two days of rest were to follow. <laughs> so teachers were tired of children. <laughs> in 1874, too. And their shenanigans. <laughs> the day's experiences opened with a remarkable occurrence in the third ward. Just before the school hour in the morning, Miss Lewis, the teacher there, was considerably startled by the appearance of a bevy of excited urchins at her boarding place. <laughs> Children. I'm picturing the little crustaceous looking things. Just a little bevy of spiky urchins. urchins. <laughs> like some fucking messed up Totoro. of a bevy of excited sea urchins at her boarding place who assured, <laughs> who assured her in words tremulous with fear that they had witnessed a terrible apparition in the schoolroom. They could not be mistaken. They had seen it all so plainly in the broad light of the day as they looked through the schoolroom windows. There was a coffin, plain as any coffin ever seen, and it was sur surmounted by a ghastly skull, distinctly a skull, and a ghastly ghost figure leered about in white ra raiment, as certainly as they were living. The ghost itself, the children said, bore every resemblance to old man Breckner, <laughs> who grew tired of this weary world some months ago. And proceeded to effectually hang himself in the, oh. in the most quiet and unobtrusive manner oh. to the limb tree on the banks of the Floyd River until he was very dead. Oh my god! Oh. Oh. That's so sad! It's so fucked. It's so fucked. The picture presented by the frightened children was a startling one, and they were in real earnest as their actions fully determined. Miss Lewis is not a believer in ghosts, nor is she particularly afraid of meeting them in daylight. 
Therefore, she proceeded forthwith to accompany the children to the schoolroom to prove them that their young ideas had shot in an entirely wrong direction. Wish we could say that, upon her arrival there, she saw with her own intelligent eyes the horrid coffin, the ghastly skull, and the strange sight of the well-known figure of poor old Breckner in clean white covering. It would so vastly enlarge the popular interest in our recital. As it is, however, as a truthful reporter, we are compelled to say that Miss Lewis boldly entered the schoolroom and was unable to see anything of the coffin, the skull, or the figure of the departed. By this time, the children could not see these alarming things either, and though it was possible that the ghost had returned to his coffin, packed up his skull, and quietly slid out, <laughs> it is altogether probable that nothing of the strange sort had been there. <laughs> Just taking his skull after he was very dead, he might have lost it. <laughs> Don't want to forget this. <laughs> My pet skull. But the children were not to be persuaded that they had been mistaken. They had seen all so very plain. They further satisfied Miss Lewis out of their sincerity by being dreadfully uneasy and nervous throughout the greater part of the forenoon. The only explanation that has been offered of this strange occurrence involves a pane of glass that has been patched with paper, and it is conjectured that this had to do with the deceiving optics of the youngsters. But just how? No one can tell. And the whole affair is unanimously voted astonishingly singular. The, <laughs> the remaining incidents of, are of minor importance and have, have to do altogether with the schools of the central building. The first in order is so small a matter as a boy of cutting his finger, a thing all boys are expected to do as often as <laughs> once a week. <laughs> Billy, you fuck? haven't met your... Your weekly quota of finger cutting. Fuck, Iowa. You know, you know boys and cutting their fingers at least once a week. <laughs> this boy was sharpening a pencil, and as it is against the rules to have a knife out in the school, he had a knife and pencil together under his seat. Okay, now I get it. <laughs> they sharpened the pencils with knives. Under these circumstances, he could not see the direction of affairs, and exposure came with the blood. <laughs> His teacher gave him a bungling job of surgery and a first-class moral lecture. <laughs> and then this one. It was recess. <laughs> Strange enough, girls were pushing, and one of them was toppled over and got up with a skinned and disfigured chin. Uh-oh. She was done She's up with never wet... going to be married. She was done up in a wet rag. <laughs> then, two girls bumped noses in a most horribly violent manner. And from one, the blood spurted most astonishingly. <laughs> the guardian of our youth, in this case, rushed the victim off to the pump. <laughs> then a trio of boys were shoving a thing boys are seldom caught at, and one of them was shoved off the steps, and he got up with a slit in his nose, a gap in either lip, and an expression of countenance that indicated a disturbed mind. <laughs> his case was regarded as beyond the skill of the combined force of teachers, 
and he was hastily dispatched to a parental roof. Nothing else worth mentioning occurred during recess. <laughs> it's like a school of the children of the corn. What play the by, fuck? A play-by-play of, like, the worst school ever. <laughs> Soon after, however, when it was hoped that the tribulations of the day were over with, a little girl up and swallowed a nickel, which, <laughs> which event she signalized by a terrific scream, followed by the most frightful struggles for a clearance. The pesky coin had lodged in the child's throat, and Mrs. Bulmer, with remarkable presence of mind, remembering several things all at once that she had read, grabbed the unfortunate out of the center of gravity and fell to slapping the child violently on the back, meanwhile <laughs> dodging the flying pedal extremities of the partially inverted and struggling miss. <laughs> so she just fucking... Hang her upside down. And started just beating her on the back. <laughs> Finally, the coin was persuaded into the stomach, but the dear girl would not be comforted as the consequences might disastrously interfere with digestion. Miss Pierce, however, came to the rescue at this point with the assurance that in her youth, she once swallowed a nail and it never hurt her a bit. Peace reigned. (laughs) (laughs) She forgot to mention she's also a masochist. <laughs> she has, she only has a quarter of her colon. <laughs> I use this bag to poop. But I'm fit as a fiddle. <laughs> I have no legs. <laughs> just a really disastrous swallowing of nail of a single nail. But I've got these burly arms that I can beat you with. <laughs> About the back. I just don't understand. Like, what a horrible day at school. Like, I understand why the teachers are like, please get to the weekend. For the love of God. (laughs) It's just so bad. Okay. (laughs) This next one is from the August 27th, 1880 edition of the Iowa County Democrat. Hmm. But it says it's in Wisconsin, so I don't know what's happening. Maybe the Iowa Nation? The Iowa... Maybe. Or it was reprinted from Wisconsin. I don't know. I don't know. The subject is showers of corn cobs, clubs, stones, and other missiles flying mysteriously through the air. Oh, no. (laughs) I saw that and was like, yes. Corn cobs, you say? You had me at cobs. <laughs> Somebody lobbed a cob, and I don't see a knob. And I was like, "Yes, I would like to go to there." I want to read this out loud. It says Bell Center O dispatch to Cincinnati Inquirer. About three miles northwest of town, there is a farm known as the Zoller Place, one of the oldest in the state, and owned by the heirs, one of whom occupies it. On last Friday afternoon, the folks went blackberrying, and two of the children went to a picnic nearby. About five o'clock, the children returned, and they say as they came into the yard, a man of small stature, bow-legged, and very ragged, came out of the kitchen, walked Mm -hmm. past them, 
opened the garden gate and went in. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> like, sir, sir, this is my house. <laughs> he then jumped over the picket fence into the barnyard and disappeared in the barn. No. The children, becoming frightened at his strange actions, went to a neighbor's house about half a mile distant and returned home in the evening. When their parents returned, they related their story. Mr. Zoller tracked them through the garden and barnyard by noticing three large-headed nails in the impression of his boot heel. At the barn, all traces were lost. That's unsettling. Now comes the mystery. Ooh. Mrs. Zoller went to the barnyard to milk. Corn cobs commenced falling near her like someone was throwing at her. (laughs) Mr. Zoller was standing nearby but didn't notice them. She asked him if he saw that. He answered no. Just then, a large one hit near him, but he could not see where it came from. (laughs) Just these random corn cobs which just come flying out of nowhere. She's like, do you see these corn cobs? And he's like, nah. And then it's like, yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) You do now. Take this. During Saturday, the children were hit with corn cobs, pieces of bark, and small stones every time they attempted to go into the barnyard. I'm sorry, but bark? Bark from a tree. Can you, like, throw bark? Far? Is it just like a ninja star? That's honestly impressive. Like, you could throw corn cobs, sure, but in rocks. But, like, well, like, what kind of bark is it? Effectively throwing bark? Is it like birch? I was going to say, if if it's birch, it's just like paper. Like rolled up paper being tossed at you. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? (laughs) I'm tired from the corn cup throwing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it cut my finger. That's my (laughs) weekly quota. (laughs) Cut my finger for the week. (laughs) I am now a man. (laughs) Two... Two of the family, one boy of seven and the other a young lady of 18, seemed to attract the most. When they came near, the missiles were sure to fly. The boy especially was hurt about the face with small stones. (laughs) What happened to me? I got stoned in the face (laughs) several times. One of the neighbors coming to witness the shower was hit in the back by a wooden pin that had been used to fasten a large gate. A trace chain that had been plowed up was hung on a corner of the corn crib near the barn. Also went sailing in the air in search of something to light on. (laughs) Hundreds of people have been to see this site since Saturday, and all came away satisfied that they saw chips, small stones, corn cobs, etc., falling near them, but unable to explain where they came from. Just, just a bunch of people are like, I want to get hit with a corn cob. <laughs> I'm going to go look at that. <laughs> oh, look at there. There it is. Yep. Yep. <laughs> they start selling, like, tea towels. I was where the corn cobs were thrown. <laughs> 18, whatever. I was there. <laughs> the corn cob mystery of... <laughs> of 1880. 1880, there you go. No wonders here. The corn showers of 1880. Where were you? I was there. I was there. One man says he saw a corn cob start from the ground and soar over his head and light on the ground without the least noise. 
Another one says he was standing near a chicken house, the door of which was open, when some half dozen cobs came flying out. (laughs) It's popcorn chicken. (laughs) (laughs) That's how the colonel got the idea. I do declare. I don't care if the years match up. It's true. It's true. Well, I say. (laughs) The house was searched, but nothing found. Some say the flying pieces are not noticed until they either strike them or fall on the ground nearby. The strangest thing is that they light as easy as a feather, no matter how large the article is. One man brought home a piece of an old walnut rail about a foot long and two by four inches thick that he says he tried to aggravate the spirits and said in a loud voice, don't throw any more corn cobs. Throw a club this time. (laughs) Okay, Zach Baggins. You pansies. (laughs) Just then, this piece lit on his shoulder as easy as a feather and rolled to the ground. The whole neighborhood is excited and watch the barn from morning until night, trying not to believe it, but at the same time convinced they saw something they know not what. It's corn! (laughs) It had to be like a government experiment. (laughs) And they they were all just hallucinated the whole town (laughs) for like 48 hours. They laced the drinking water with LSD. All right, my next one is from July 12th, 1888, again in the Sioux City Journal. And it says, a true ghost story. Full particulars concerning the spirit that visits Prospect Hill. Very few of the young western cities can boast of a reliable permanent ghost. For the maintenance of the genuine article, there should be an old tumble-down house with moss on the roof, loose clapboards to rattle in the wind, dark walls with ivy clinging to the sides, creaking doors, hidden closets, etc., The West is too new for such quarters, and consequently a ghost in this country must needs be satisfied with more comfortable though less appropriate lodgings, or else stalk abroad at midnight when graveyards yawn. (laughs) I don't get it. I love that ghosts have stipulations. This house isn't spooky enough for me to haunt. (laughs) I really wanted to haunt here, but there's no moss on your roof. (laughs) I require high-quality peat moss. I have to go. There are no clapboards to clap, so (laughs) I need to leave. The clapboards ain't clapping. I must clap away. (laughs) Sioux City has a ghost of the most authentic character. It is no newcomer, but, on the contrary, has made its appearance so frequently and under such circumstances as to entitle it to be classed among the oldest inhabitants. Mm. It is not a domiciled spirit, for the reason, probably, that none of the buildings in the quarter it has chosen to inhabit have yet yet attained to an age necessary for the respectable habitation of a ghost. (laughs) So she's a whore. She's a traveling whore ghost. Because place isn't place, old enough for me to live here. The places aren't good enough yet. She hasn't let the buildings age like fine wine. 
Having given so much of the description, it is hardly necessary to add that the favorite haunt of this familiar, quote-unquote, spook is in the neighborhood of Prospect Hill. The persons who last saw the shrouded mystery of the hill were two attaches of the journal, who were wending their weary way homeward in the small hours of yesterday morning. It will not distract from the interest of the statement to add that the party was a trio, but the third man was unable to see what, the, what was perfectly plain to his companions. The apparition was first visible near the corner of 2nd and Bluff Streets. It was clad in conventional white, and when first seen at a distance, bore that elusive and dissolving view appearance, which unmistakably stamps the ghost family and distinguishes them from common mortals. <laughs> she had that ghost look, that ghost drip. <laughs> They're like, that, now that's a ghost. <laughs> that, that's a good ghost. <laughs> that's a ghost of good moral fiber, if I've ever seen one. That's a fine ghost. What's she doing in these new new parts? There's no moss here. <laughs> <laughs> We're not nearly mossy enough for this this lady. <laughs> for a moment or two, it advanced towards the approaching party, then and then disappeared to thin air after the manner of its kind. <laughs> it's of no use to claim a ghost unless an abstract of title and perfect pedigree can be exhibited. This can be done for the Prospect Hill spirit. It is more than a dozen years since it was first seen. Longer ago than that, a woman died in that neighborhood and left two children. She loved them passionately, and on her deathbed charged her father to care for them tenderly, threatening that neglect or ill-treatment would bring her from the grave to their rescue. The injunction has not always been strictly obeyed, but it is a current tradition that whenever danger or suffering mm -hmm. or deprivation has threatened the children, just so surely the shadowy form of their mother's spirit becomes visible in the locality she frequented in life. So that kind of makes me nervous. Because <laughs> she was like, don't beat my kids up or I'm going to freaking haunt this place. And now she's like, never left. Oh, God. <laughs> so... She's like, I guess I live here now. Yeah, are the kids safe? Were they safe? Or are they just like, mom, you're embarrassing us. There's no moss here. We got to go. So this one is from the December 19th, 1887 edition of the St. Paul Daily Globe in Minnesota. All right. And this one is called A Brave Man Plays Poker with Two Ghosts and Wins Big Money. <laughs> is it souls? <laughs> B.F. Strong Esquire of this county was in town the other day to see about filing a claim against the Hannibal and St. Joe Railroad Company for damages caused by the killing of some stock belonging to him. Oh. At one time in his early manhood, Frank, as he is popularly called, was a great lover of the national game of poker. And while here, he related a wonderful story of a game in which he once participated. Great. Twelve years ago, while dealing extensively in cattle, wrote the Macon... I think this is Missouri, correspondent to the Globe Democrat, Frank made a trip to Avon, Illinois, and there sought lodging at the Revere House, now burned. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect ghost house, let me tell you. Ghost love arson, let me tell you. <laughs> Ghosts love a good fire. They love setting them, they love hanging out during them. Ghost rider. Love, we love, love. Say more. 
It was late in the evening when he arrived, and accommodations were limited. The landlord informed him that there was but one vacant room, and this a deserted one, believed by those familiar with the place to be haunted. If this would suit, a cot could be fixed up for the guest. This being the only chance, Strong accepted the situation, and in the bare room, destitute of furniture, a mattress and blankets were provided. That's amazing. I got this one house I could put, like, a cot in, but, like, <laughs> it's pretty haunted, dude. I don't know if you want it. <laughs> While these arrangements were being made, the host explained that some years before, two men had sought lodging in the house and occupied this room. In the middle of the night, a pistol shot was heard, and those who had rushed to the spot had discovered one of the two companions, neither of whose names were ever known, lying dead on the floor with a bullet in his heart. The murderer had escaped by the window. The cause of the trouble was explained by a pack of cards laying scattered on the floor, together with some loose coin which was found on the table where they had been playing. The quarrel between two gamblers over their game had resulted in a tragedy. Since then, the ghost of the murdered man, sometimes in company with other spooks, was said to nightly visit the room. <laughs> Hoping to win back his life. <laughs> Those are my coins! That's my coin. <laughs> that girl swallowed my nickel and I've never recovered financially. It's been downhill from there. <laughs> Nothing daunted by the tale, Strong blew out his light and retired. Sometime during the night, he awoke and saw two ghostly forms seated on the floor playing cards by the pale moonlight, which streamed through the window. For a few moments, he watched them. Then his delight in the game being played overcame all other considerations, and he jumped up from his mattress and asked if he might have a hand. Stop. Not a word was spoken by the two figures in white, but one of them silently dealt a hand to the stockman who had audaciously <laughs> curled himself up on the floor between the ghostly gamesters, having not even waited to dress himself. <laughs> He's so excited. The game was <laughs> poker, and for a time the ante was low. Both pale spirits appeared well supplied with money in bills and silver. Mm. Without the exchange of a word, the game progressed. Finally, Strong laid down as his ante a $5 bill. All drew, and Strong's bet of $20 was raised by each until $230 lay on the floor. Dang, that would have been a lot of money. Yeah, no shit. On a hand of four tens, Strong won. Neither of the mysterious individuals was a scientific player, and in the course of a <laughs> few hours, the lone marshal managed to run in several successful bluffs. For two hours, the game had progressed, when at the crowing of a barnyard fowl, both the white-robed personages arose, startled, and sadly withdrew. The manner oh. of their egress from the apartment, Strong declares, is yet a mystery, as no aperture larger than the keyhole existed. <laughs> Strong took a pull of brandy to quiet his nerves and counted over his winnings, which slightly exceeded over $600. Jeez! Then, looking carefully to his revolver, he placed the money under his pillow and again retired, sleeping soundly until awakened by the landlord's rap. To the latter's inquiry whether he had been disturbed by spirits, he replied that nothing unusual had happened. The occurrence, Frank said in conclusion, he regarded as a warning that disembodied spirits ought never to tackle an able-bodied stock dealer in a game of poker. As to the genuineness of the money he had won, 
all doubt was dispelled when on his reaching St. Louis, it served to purchase a week of full-blown enjoyment. You know, part of me wants, you, you remember like the ectoplasm and stuff of spiritualism? Yep. Mm-hmm. I really wanted the money to just be like coated in goo. Yeah. <laughs> the money's yours, but it's gross. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Okay. I like I this last one is from May sixth, eighteen ninety five, again at the Sioux City Journal. <laughs> and the title is Sure Enough, Ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but whoever the writing staff was at the Sioux City Journal at the time, they did a great job. Like, seriously, kudos. Ralph Fletcher saw two in one night and tells a reporter about it. Ghosts! (laughs) It was no hallucination of the brain. He actually heard the clanking of chains, unearthly shrieks, uncanny sounds in the silent halls, and the gurgling of unseen voices, which, in his wearied condition, caused a cold perspiration to dampen his brow. Mm -hmm. Some time ago, Ralph Fletcher, son of Mayor Fletcher, found a cavity in his heart, which he hastily filled, informally and unknown to his parents, by making Miss Day Duba his wife. Oh, I thought maybe he had a literal hole in his heart, (laughs) and I was like, what? Me too. Like he had a hole in his heart, so he put a woman in it. <laughs> Better than a nickel, I suppose. I guess. Or a nail. <laughs> they made their home for a time at 215 9th Street, but a few days ago moved to 215 Kansas Street on the west side. Ooh, moving on up. Mr. and Mrs. Ralph Fletcher retired as usual in their new quarters last Friday night, but Ralph was troubled with insomnia, and sleep came not. This is when he saw ghosts. <laughs> His father was the first to tell the story outside the family, but Ralph has since repeated it. He said, quote, About 4.20 Friday morning, I opened my eyes and looked about the room. Horrified, I drew the bedclothing over my head, for there on the floor stood two ghosts. What did you do? asked the reporter. Why, I kept quiet, of course. Did not even wake my wife, who was sleeping soundly. For I knew if she witnessed the sight I saw, she would have screamed loud enough to wake up people for blocks around. (laughs) (laughs) The figures I saw were dressed in white and moved silently around the room. I just kept quiet and did not say anything. And finally they disappeared, much to my satisfaction. I told my wife about it in the morning, and while relating it, we both got so scared that neither of us dared to go to our rooms during the day, and we suffered greatly. (laughs) I don't know what, I don't know that I'm a particular believer in ghosts, but, and he lowered his voice to a whisper, the landlady is a spiritualist, and I saw objects in the room. Isn't that cause for excitement? What the fuck? <laughs> this is actually anti-spiritualist <laughs> propaganda. <laughs> Mayor Fletcher, who was the first to make the occurrence known, told the story as follows. Ralph saw ghosts last night. They came into his bedroom. 
he woke up and at first thought it was his wife walking about. He, he felt wherever she lay, however, and from found her asleep. He then put his arm out and passed without feeling through the object in the room. Imagine Ralph's arm sticking through an uncanny object. It scared him when he looked at it, and he saw half <laughs> of it on top and half below. Ralph says his father embellished the story. <laughs> and that's the end of it. Oh, God. All right. This is another story from the December 19th, 1887 edition of the St. Paul Daily Globe in Minnesota. And it is called Jenny Kramer's Ghost Said to Rise from Her Grave Every Night. Oh. It was either that or do one about a woman that completed suicide. And I thought this one might be better. So. Yeah. Yeah. Jenny Kramer's Spook. It is said to rise from its grave every night. A big sensation has been caused in New Haven over the alleged appearance of the spirit of Jenny Kramer, the beautiful young girl who was murdered six years ago near that city. The inquiry into the cause of her death was one of the greatest criminal investigations ever held in the country. Within the last week, a story reached the police here to the effect that two young students connected with the Yale Medical School had seen Jenny Kramer's ghost. No faith was placed in it by the police, but the making public of it caused a sensation and subsequent investigation. It now turns out that there was truth in the story. Oh, shit. The remains of beautiful Jenny Kramer, or what was left of them, were laid away in the Kramer burial plot at Evergreen Cemetery one cold afternoon in January 1881. Vital portions of the internal organs of the murdered girl have been carried for scientists and those eminent in the profession of medicine to analyze and experiment on. Okay. A plain but handsome monument marks the resting place of the girl about whom so much was written during the Mallee trial. One small rose bush is growing at the head of the grave and another at the foot. The grave is covered with ivy. Perfect for haunting. Yep, they do like that. They like ivy. They specified that. The superintendent of the cemetery, an aged and truthful man, now vouches for the story of the students, and he also states that he has known that the spirit of Jenny Kramer had come from its grave nightly for the past five years. He tells a wonderful story of the poor girl's visitation to Earth. I, says the New Haven correspondent of the St. Louis Globe Democrat, called on the aged gravedigger today and learned the story of the alleged spirit's visits. <laughs> I called that old man and said, tell me everything. <laughs> tell me what you know. <laughs> Quote, I would consider it a sacrilege to speak anything but the truth in the matter, he said. I have superintended here for a quarter of a century and have lived here many years. My only company is the dead, and I pay nightly visits to their homes. What? <laughs> so sad. So sad. My only friends are dead people, and I visit them at their house all the time. <laughs> I want to go to your house. Well, thank you for letting me in. <laughs> what nice peat moss you have. I was greatly interested in the great trial, and when the remains of the poor girl were buried here, I paid frequent visits to the grave and tenderly cared for it. It was at the change of the moon that I paid one of my usual visits. It was about ten o'clock, and the sky was overcast with heavy clouds. 
I was about to leave the grave when there arose out of the ground, as it were, the most beautiful woman I ever saw. I had never seen the face of the murdered girl, but had heard of her great personal charms. The figure was dressed in robes of the purest white, and her long golden hair hung loose. She spoke not a word, but held her hands before her eyes, which had the most mournful look I ever beheld. She disappeared in an instant. She appears nightly at the same hour and same place. Some people may not believe in spirits, but I could dispel their doubts if they should consent to pass a few nights in this graveyard with me. The medical students who claim to have seen the Kramer girl's spirit I know nothing about. They were probably paying a nocturnal visit here when they encountered the spirit, end quote. Mm. But why didn't you make public what you had seen? What good would it have done? Some people would have called me a deluded old fool, and others would say I imbibed too freely, perhaps. <laughs> You're drunk. <laughs> Fair. How many times have you seen the spirit? At least 100. Jeez. I used to take a sort of delight in visiting the spot, but the, the wonderful appealing look in those eyes stuck into my heart so that I could not look at her without shedding tears. Such Aww. dazzlingly beautiful eyes I never before looked upon. They seemed to say, punish my murderers. Oh no. Right? <laughs> This is a drunk undertaker. This is Nick Cage. <laughs> this is Nick Cage. <laughs> and then I stole the Declaration of Independence and then I murdered those guys. I murdered those guys and then I dug up her body and I said, we did it, baby. And I married her bones. <laughs> <laughs> we high-fived. It was amazing. <laughs> the story of the old gravedigger is vouched for by many and others now claim to have seen the beautifully robed girl who was laid in her grave in 1881. Yeah. Now I know this isn't spooky, but in my search for ghost stories, I came across the most fantastical ads, and I just have to share a couple with you because they're, they're just insane. Here, let me find. You should make clippings of them so we can share them I on will. social. I will. Marriage Secrets A book of nearly 300 passages in plain language. Numerous engravings reveals the secrets which the married and those contemplating marriage should know. How to cure diseases. <laughs> Hundreds of recipes set securely sealed for 50 cents. Wow. Yeah. 50 cents for 300 pieces of information. That's pretty. That's a steal. Yeah. You can cure disease. Manhood restored. <laughs> Nerve capsules. The only positive cure for all nervous diseases of degenerative organs of either sex, such as impotence, nightly emissions, fatigue, nervousness, and all loss of power of the gestorative organs <laughs> caused by overexertion, youthful errors, or use in stimulants which lead to insanity. Oh. Circular free. So you can <laughs> and then there's like this image. Of a really sad, wrinkly man that says, he needs nerve capsules. <laughs> and then there's a man with, like, a big mustache and bushy eyebrows, and he says, he has used them. <laughs> and, oh my god. <laughs> this one. The mayor injection. The gentleman's friend. And female. Ooh. Our perfection syringe, free with every bottle, is clean. 
does not stain, prevents stricture, cures gonorrhea, and gleet in one to four days. A quick cure for Lacorgia or whites, sold by all druggists. Hmm. Cures gonorrhea. Nice. Congratulations, you did it. We did it. <laughs> and then this one, I, I can't tell if it's birth control or what it is, but it's Dr. Mott's Penny Royal Pills. The only safe, sure, and reliable female pill ever offered to ladies, especially recommended to married ladies. Beware of pills put up in tin boxes as they are dangerous. <laughs> Ask for Dr. Mott's Penny Royal pills and take no other. Send for circular. And then my favorite that I sent you, one of the first ones I saw, I can't find the ad. I'll have to do a search for it. But it's Reed's German Cough and Kidney Cure. And this one contains no poison. And it specifies. Nice. <laughs> this one doesn't have poison. Congratulations. It's a laxative gumdrop for indigestion. Don't know how it cures kidneys. But <laughs> I love that the postcard for it, the card that comes in, in with the medication, is a Bavarian castle in wintertime. Nice. So... Thank God for the FDA. That's all I have to say. Which became a thing on June 30th, 1906. I knew that because I Googled it earlier. Because <laughs> I was like, when did the FDA start? Because this is insane. There was one little thing, too. I probably can't find it. But they were like, there's a cure for cancer in China. <laughs> and like nothing else. Nothing else. And it was like 1880 or something. I was like, what? What? I need more. I need more details. What do you mean there's a cure for cancer in China? Have they had Yield clickbait. <laughs> I know. You're not going to believe what's in China. <laughs> it's a cure for cancer. Click to learn more. It purifies the blood. <laughs> and the kidneys, somehow. <laughs> Gonorrhea. Get, get rid of that gleat. <laughs> I had to look up what Gleed is. I'm not going to tell the world. You got to look it up. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> Sweet. Now I'm going to Google that later and I'm going to feel horrible about myself. You're uh, welcome. All right. Well, on that note, happy Halloween, everyone. <laughs> I hope you had a spooktacular time mm -hmm. and that you enjoyed these old timey ghost stories from papers past and present. Yeah. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale. As old as crime. Spooky Halloween! Woo!